playing online and on smart devices. Now on London Scotty Radio, it's podcast time. I'm George Matlock. Welcome to Collard, our revamped series of in-depth interviews where we won't let anyone go until we've got the answers. That's right, tonight we talk to someone about the very unusual circumstances that led them to choose a Scottish Terrier. We all have reasons why we fall in love with a dog breed like Scotty's. Many of us have decided to go for it and land a puppy during lockdown, or we simply retired and have oozes of time to pamper a pooch. But some stories, like tonight's, are far more amazing. Our first guest on Collard is someone who experienced a very different kind of lockdown. Let me introduce you to London Scotty Club meeting marshal, Nicola Murray. Welcome. Thank you, George. And hi, everyone. It's great to have you on the show. You're obviously known to many of our members already as a meeting marshal. I wanted to talk to you because you have a very special reason. But first of all, let's talk about your dog, because that's what everybody wants to really know about, right? So (laughs) you're the proud owner of young Hamie. Now, first of all, tell us about Hamie. How old is she? So Hamie was born on the 15th of September 2020. She is now 14 months old, if I get my maths right. (laughs) Yeah, she is just a bundle of naughtiness, joy, stubbornness. (laughs) She definitely tests my resilience anyway, Mm -hmm. but she's just been an incredible addition to my life and has completely changed what was happening before. And I, I really try to give her the best I possibly can do and really sort of enrich her life so she has a fantastic beautiful life and when I see that in her I get such joy out of it. Obviously anyone who's got a pet whether it's a dog a cat or anything else always wants the very very best for their for their pet right but your Mm. case is a little bit different to the -the run-of-the-mill pet owner. Now I want to turn to why you acquired lovely Hamie. For this we have to take you back to events in London on the 29th of November 2019. Two people were killed in an incident in London, which has since been described as a a terror attack. You were present when this happened. Yes, so I I don't go into absolute details, because there's obviously a lot to try and navigate, you know, around that. But essentially, um, I wasn't supposed to be there. My friend had an osteopath appointment that they gave to me in the area, so I went there. And afterwards, I thought, you know, should I take the tube home, or should I walk across the bridge? And it was such a beautiful bright bright blue sky day I thought just go across the bridge and you know have a look at London landscape and sights and that sort of thing and you know I I started walking across the bridge and the further I got I thought it was a fight or something like that and then the closer I got the real I realized actually it was something different you know I I, it, it was until actually the police arrived that I thought you know I realized something really serious was going down and at that point, I started running, and just the the sounds that I was hearing, I didn't know if I was running into more danger. So actually, where I went was quite an interesting path, because I didn't know if I was running in, running away, or running into more danger. The incident itself was obviously terrifying for the months 
years afterwards were yeah. just as terrifying as I tried to navigate PTSD that I didn't know that I had at the time, but also being diagnosed and going through the therapy was equally as scary and terrifying as the incident itself. Yeah, so you had to navigate twice is what you're saying, once to save your life and the second time to rehab- rehabilitate your life in a way. Exactly. I think, like, I, I'm a sort of normal civilian person. I've had no training in any of this. So what I didn't realise when you have PTSD, just how scary and traumatising the effects are. So, you know, the, the flashbacks, the nightmares, mm. you know, they can be quite, they're really awful because you, they have lots of intrusive thoughts that you might, I didn't know how to work out. I didn't even know how ill I was to actually quite late on. And you feel so almost guilty and ashamed for having these horrible thoughts because you think, I'm not that sort of person. I've never had these horrible thoughts. What's happening to me? So it is really difficult to sort of understand. And it's really difficult to admit to yourself that actually I'm not well, but mm. I don't know why I'm not well or why this is happening to me. So the, the incident that took place if we understand correctly, you were you were walking onto London Bridge. So so this was yeah. ahead of you on the bridge, whatever was exactly, happening. Exactly, yeah. And, exactly. And then did you, as most people I think would normally do, would, would reverse and run back away? Back. So is that what yeah, you, you I, ran it in reverse? Yeah, you, you I ran back. back. Yeah. And I didn't know till later on, I'll explain later on, um, when my therapist took me back to the area, that I took a really weird route. <laughs> I seemed mm. to be running all over the place. Uh, trying to sort of escape you know what was happening and eventually I, I I got to London Bridge rail station I went through the barriers and actually I came back because I thought to myself there might be somebody on the other side and I went back through and I got on a train and ended up in Streatham mm-hmm. <laughs> like yes. fa- quite far away from you know I live in North London for me Streatham is quite far and um, I just sat and phoned my parents and I was obviously quite upset and not really understanding you know what was happening and what had happened you know how I got there I couldn't remember a lot of the stuff because it, it seemed to me I was trying to run as fast as I could but mm. I, I couldn't run fast enough. Right so was it a little bit like you know when you have a dream you sort of um, and you're trying to run from something and you just can't run fast yeah. enough and you get that frustration it's usually what wakes you up actually afterwards but you get that kind of frustration of i can't my legs just will not carry me fast enough is that how you felt yeah i felt it was like um i was uh describe it as you know like a sort of big monster and they've got big feet and you're kind mm. of like going really slowly but the thing is george this wasn't a dream no this was very very real mm. and to feel that utter terror and panic in such a very very short period of time I had never experienced before I hope I don't again and it's just it's so terrifying it's really really difficult to put into words and I think for anyone who's gone through you know some sort of trauma it's really really hard to communicate it in words without completely terrifying someone else Now, the condition that you were then diagnosed with, um, I think you mentioned the initials, what, what does it spell out? Post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, for this, um, what you found an amazing solution, which was, of course, your Scotty. 
pay me. Yes. Um, how long after the diagnosis did you decide that you were going to get a dog? And then why a Scotty? Well, I'd wanted a Scotty for about seven years or so. I had been thinking about one, you know, for quite a while. I had been in touch with one quite respected breeder. And it was about a year after it happened. I thought, well, do you know this might be a good time. I had struggled quite a bit up to that, not up to just before that point, whereby I found it difficult to leave my flat. I wasn't really engaging with friends or family. Christmas was, well, there wasn't really Christmas because I didn't want to spend any time with anyone. That was Christmas in the September afterwards. That's when we Haley came into my life. And so I did spend quite a long time thinking to myself, is this something that I could handle? I knew it was a big commitment. And I, you know, I had worked through quite a bit of the PTSD, but then I thought, well, let's just, you know, speak to the breeders, speak to friends, speak to family. And yes, so Amy was born 15th of September. I got her, um, she arrived, I went to go and beat her in November, and she completely changed my life in so many amazing ways. I mean, I can go through the journey with you if you'd like. By all means. So this was November of 2020, right? Yes, exactly. So almost a year, actually, after it all happened. You know, I thought to myself, I want to give this beautiful wee soul the most amazing life I can possibly, you know, give her. So I started, you know, going to my local park and taking her walks. And she was quite small, you know, she was still quite young at the time. And I, you know, over time I started meeting other people in my local park. She became friendly with other young dogs at her age and older dogs. And, you know, as, you know, we all, you know, we were all meeting three, four times a day in the park. And mm. it was lovely because I got to sort of share stories, ask questions, share knowledge. Amy does have a little you know, Scotty attitude, (laughs) (laughs) that she was bossing everyone around in the park, even the older ones. What I I decided to set up a WhatsApp group for people who are, you know, who live in my local area who have dogs. And we're all pouring on a WhatsApp group. It has been really great for all of us because we, you know, now meet regularly in our local pub, go for some food and drinks and you know, share stories, have a laugh, and it's really built a sort of community for me, but also for Haley herself, and that she has, you know, some really, really good sort of doggy friends that, um, you know, we, that they all like love hanging out, but also, you know, the parents, you know, we all support each other and, you know, look after one another. Mm. So it's been really fantastic from that perspective. Brilliant. And um, has Hamey changed your, your world? And, and I mean, are you now like f- fully, fully rehabilitated or how, how would you define where you are in terms of the timeline? So basically what happened was after once she became a little bit older, what I started doing was um, trying to sort of give, as I said, give her a really, you know, great, you know, give her the best life I possibly could. And also by then, I thought to myself, I have to, you know, show her other things rather than in her local park. So started going to, um, getting on the, the bus and the tube, and um, went to Margate quite a few times. And she loved rolling around in the sand and the sea. Loved, 
you know, we went to Brighton. The pebbles she wasn't too sure about, but definitely the sea. Mm. <laughs> um, I really sort of like, it enabled me to, to get out of London, you know, see, uh, go to the seaside, have some fish and chips, just trying to sort of move myself away from just being at home. And she loved it, the, the, you know, the look. And the, when she was running around the beach, she used to roll over and get all the lots of sand in her fur. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> well, I guess in a way, this it's it's ironic that, you know, um, you, you, you've gone through a period where you wanted to get yourself out of the house at exactly the same time as the rest of the UK and the rest of the world, in fact, was mm. going into a lockdown, a different kind of mm. lockdown, of course, because mm -hmm. of COVID-19. And yeah. so I guess um, that made it even harder, right? So these times were actually, the times that I was able to go, there was, I think the, the in-betweeny bits, <laughs> in-betweeny COVID uh, lockdowns. And, you know, when when lockdown was happening, if I look back, if I didn't have her, I probably wouldn't have left. And I think mm. it would have exacerbated everything. And, um, you know, even if we were able to go to a local park, she was still quite young at that time. So she just loved, you know, I used to let her off the leash and she'd be running mad around the park. Um, but as lockdown eased and in between, I was able to sort of get out and, you know, experience a little bit of a sort of different life and give her a different life and perspective and she was learning new things the whole time and that's what I was really wanting to give her that opportunity to do. Fantastic and she has changed your life. Yeah so going back to the instance I was going to towards the end of it she was maybe about 11 months at this time. My therapist wanted to take me back to where it all happened and I was obviously quite nervous. I'd been once with my therapist into central London without Amy. Uh, my, I have a um, dog sitter that looks after her sometimes. I thought, just go in, and I just hated it. And so the second time, the therapist said, no, we have to go back to where, uh, where it all happened. So I went, and I took Amy this time, because I thought, I just need a little bit more support than going on my own. Also, I felt responsible for someone else. So anyway, we went there. I sat I had a little bit of food in Borough Market and my therapist came along and I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to go all the way where it happened. We got onto the bridge and we were chatting, walking. I was getting quite anxious as mm. the further we got along. And we got to the point where it all happened and lovely wee Hayley decided to relieve herself with the smelliest, biggest <laughs> way that she could ever relieve herself. <laughs> and for me, it was... Fantastic, because it really, it really sort of separated everything, and it just made me think, okay, that's the end of it. That's the end of this nightmare that I've had to go through for the last couple of years. I can deal with anything now, um, and because the images that I had before has been replaced with Amy relieving herself, <laughs> and you know, and it really surprised me just how in tune she was with mm. me and how I was feeling and that anxiety and as soon as she did it it just lightened everything and I thought okay I can do anything that we can her and I can do anything that we can go anywhere so not long after that actually I wanted to go up to Scotland um, where I'm from mm -hmm. and so uh, we got on the overnight train from Euston up to Edinburgh met my sister and her dog for breakfast and then went up to Urban and they got the ferry across to Mull and Iona George, when we went there, 
that was like this is why I wanted to have Hamy. This is why I love have Hamy in my mm. life is because we were running around the beach, splashing around in the sea. We we're walking up hills and going into waterfalls, and it was a fantastic kind of sentiment of just how much joy Hamy's brought to my life. And hopefully, mm. I've given her an opportunity to experience lots and lots of different you know, waterfalls, beaches, seas. What have you? And tell us about your sister. You mentioned a dog there. So, what kind of dog does she own? That's a good question. I'm not too sure. Her name's Luna, and I, I think she's a crossbreed. But yes, yeah, she's quite interesting. Luna, she uh, has this amazing ability to communicate with anyone in the way that she barks. Mm. <laughs> I'm not too sure if Hamy and Luna are best friends, but <laughs> I, I think they tolerate each other, but Hamy's quite bossy, so I think it's sometimes a bit challenging, that one. So is there a, a little bit of Scotty, do you think, in your sister's dog? Yeah, she's definitely got the attitude. Got the attitude. I think it comes with Scottish dogs, actually, but yes, OK. <laughs> Just Scottish people in general. <laughs> Um, just it's it's incredibly topical that we're obviously talking about this uh, all of this today in particularly because as you'll know what happened over the weekend yeah um, you know people forget about obviously terror attacks until there's a recurrence mm. and you know like this bungled explosion on Sunday at the Liverpool yeah. Women's Hospital uh, where the mm. assailant was the only victim of that uh, mm. atrocity it's now been declared a terror attack mm. when you hear such events how do you react when you hear of these things? I think each time something happens, as you say, there's a resurgence of interest in these sort of things. I think there needs to be a lot more work done with government um, and different sort of terror, terror groups to really find out why they're happening, to have better programmes to rehabilitate people. I'd also say for the victims... Um, the families, friends, colleagues, survivors, and anyone who's been affected by these attacks, a lot more support. Because mm. um, I work with a charity called the Peace Foundation, who are fantastic because we do a lot of, I'd say, meditation sessions, breathing sessions, listening sessions, and really sort of, you know, meet other survivors or um, victims' families or friends or colleagues or anyone who's really been affected by terrorist attacks and try to support and sort of, um, give sort of advice to each other. It's a very difficult thing to navigate because you don't really want to talk about it to your friends and, you know, to, I guess, people, friends, family or colleagues on a day-to-day -day basis, but if you've been through something like this, it's just so massive that it might not even enter someone else's mind. Mm. So it's how you navigate that conversation and also, you know, learning how you talk to someone who has gone through this and support them in a positive way. So there's still a lot of work that we're doing. Um, I'm working with uh, some, of, some other smaller groups who we're trying to sort of, you know, for example, there's no one day that we can commemorate people who've lost their lives and support people who've been affected by terrorist attacks. And I'm trying to work with different groups. Can we have something that we could all come together and remember and think and support one another? 
Now you do you're being very active obviously in helping in this way and I think it's very uh, you know commendable that you're doing this. I know you've had obviously the professional help um, and the diagnosis mm. and so on but it looks like perhaps the single biggest tonic for you has been having Hamie. Absolutely I mean if I think back about what my life was like you know beforehand mm. she's enabled me to you know literally get out my flat <laughs> she's enabled me to go and meet new friends she's enabled me to travel and all while I've tried to do it with her best interest so meeting other dogs getting out to go and you know see new places meet new doggy friends and she's really sort of given me that drive to sort of think I, I want to be able to give her the best life and by doing that it's actually given me a better life and it's enabled me to sort of understand you know, I, I can survive this, I can do this. And I feel really together we can both do it. So she has completely and utterly changed my life. And the, just the joy that I get from seeing her face running around and the, mm. the beach or running up a hill and, you know, whatever it is, she just loves it. Even just to my local park and chasing the squirrels, which is the new thing, <laughs> chasing the squirrels, or foxes that she's mm. just two days ago. Uh, seeing the first fox for the first time quite an interesting experience it just gives me another dimension to my life that I didn't have before and it's really enabled me to go and do such cool things that I definitely wouldn't have done on my own and definitely wouldn't have done you know a couple of years ago so Hamie is very much the therapy dog <laughs> I would say so I mean don't get me wrong She's still a handful, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, so she gives back more than she takes by the sound of it. Absolutely, but the thing is, she does it without knowing it, which is, you know, <laughs> which is quite interesting. And I think for me, it's the joy of her joy, and I think that's really where I love having a Scotty. And um, you know, the London Scotty Club itself has been fantastic, setting up, you know, lovely walks meeting other Scotty dogs for Hamy, meeting other owners and, you know, the WhatsApp group where we chat and sh share stories is a real lovely community for me. That you feel that you belong and that that's really important for me and it's I think it's really important for Hamy. She might not know it. <laughs> well, I have to say on behalf of everyone in the club, we thank you for that and we are very appreciative of that kind of feedback. Um, I mean, I very much hope that this club is there for, for everyone. You know, sometimes it's just people mm. who are lonely or people who, who, who um, can't get out of the house for any reason. I mean, in your case, that was certainly true for a while. I'm mm. glad, though, you've managed to uh, to get out to do the walkabouts with us and um, and to meet others. Uh, and I think you're, you know, you're very brave. I think you've, you've told us a, a, the most amazing story and I think it's going to really resonate with a lot of people. Um, I hope very much that none of our listeners ever have to experience what you did. Um, but I, at the same time, know that they will be very much moved by uh, this very frank and open discussion. And, and so thank you very much for that. Nicola Murray, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to London Scotty Radio. This and all our podcasts are available online at londonscotty.club. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe to us from your favourite podcast player app. Also visit us on YouTube for fun videos. And if you have a Scottish Terrier in London or nearby, be sure to join us.